0: This reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, the 12th chapter, it begins with the 13th verse if you want to follow along on your phone or on an iPad or it'll also be up on the screen. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, friend, friend. Who sent me to be a judge or an arbiter over you? And then he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do? for i have no place to store my crops and he said i will do this i will pull down my barns and build larger ones and there i will store all my grain and my goods and i will say to my soul soul you have ample goods laid up for many many years relax eat drink and be merry but god said to him you a fool this very night your life is demanded of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Here's the reading. So the question hardly needs to be asked if you just let the cliffhanger of this passage rest on you. At least for those of us who aren't already feeling guilty about not being rich toward God. What does it mean to be rich toward God? That's the question I want you to hold in your mind for a while. Unfortunately, the, the beginning of this passage is not something that is uncommon, even today. Jesus, now Jesus being around is a little uncommon perhaps, but Jesus is... In the midst of thousands, we believe, in Luke, but he's teaching the disciples. And so if you can imagine the scene, it's probably like here he is, he's teaching with these everybody else is just sort of hanging out, you know, doing their thing. Like imagine a big music festival on a lawn or something, you know, they're just out there, and and all of a sudden this this, this guy comes up, or he just yells out, not a question, right, but a command. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Again, what's not uncommon about this particular thing is that so many times in families, and as a pastor I've seen this over and over and over again, when mom and dad die or when somebody in the family dies and there's a hint of an inheritance all of a sudden, everybody's on their worst behavior. Because, of course, as a child of this person, I'm entitled to everything that they've worked for their entire life, right? I mean, they clearly, I, I have to have a share because, uh, you know, I was, I was their child and, and, or their nephew or their niece, and, and of course, it, 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 I, I'm deserving of it. This entitlement mentality comes on very quickly, even amongst people that before that you would be like, yeah, this is a pretty good person. I don't want my brother to get too much of it because I deserve this part of it. What kind of crazy greed idolatry is this? Right? I mean, I'm sure some of you have told me stories too about family members who, you know, as mom or dad or grandma gets older and older, they, 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 when they're at the house, they take stickers and they write their name on them and they put the sticker on the thing that they want, right? I mean, it's a lovely thing for maybe someone who's, who's, who's going to die to do to say, if, there, if there's something that you would like, you know, then please let me know and, and then that way, you know… If it's a saucer or a teacup or a chair or a table or something like that that you're interested in. I mean, it's a lovely sentiment that they know they're going to be, you know, these things that they have, they're going to need to figure out what to do with them. But, but it's so fascinating to me that we, we get this entitlement kind of thing. Our parents or our family members who have worked their whole lives and, and, and saved and earned and done this, that then when they die, it must belong to me couldn't possibly belong to somebody else. I'm entitled to it. And that's what he says. Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Now, what he may have been doing is, is that he may have been the youngest brother or the younger brother, and of course the oldest brother got, in this time it was mandatory, the older brother got two-thirds of the inheritance and the younger, the younger brother got one-third of the inheritance. I don't know what they did if they had three, but that's what they did if they had two, two-thirds, one-third. So it may have been that the older brother was hoarding the, all the inheritance and the younger brother's just like, man, I got to get Jesus, I got to get the teacher, the rabbi, because the rabbi had some power to tell my brother to, hey, give him his rightful share. Okay, maybe that's what's going on here. But it doesn't feel like that very much here. And Jesus says, who, who sent me to be a judge? I didn't come here to decide your money disputes, right? But then it says he said to them, so I don't know if he, if, he, if he turns to the disciples or if he turns to the thousand. Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of, of possessions. Could anything today be more countercultural than that statement? Because what are we told all the time? The more things you have, the one with the one who dies with the most toys wins. The nicer the things and more expensive the things that you have that apparently you are, you are blessed by God, but the more, the more that you have and the, and, and the more you have in your bank account. We are enticed all the time to, to trade up, to move up, to even though those of us who, who have been blessed with, with an abundance of riches in a way are encouraged more and more and more to hoard that, those riches or to use it to serve ourselves. One writer said that self-interest is a cardinal virtue in our society. And the Bible would tell you also, there's, there's good case for the Bible to tell you, hey, you've got to take care of your four walls. You know, you've, you, you've got to take care, of, use the resources that God is blessing you with to make sure that you provide, you know, you're providing for yourself and perhaps even providing for your, your family. But beyond that, beyond that, These are gifts from God and to be used for the things of God. And so as Jesus goes on to tell this parable, he makes makes this guy a pretty easy target. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. And if you heard me reading, did you hear the words I was emphasizing? I and my I mean, it is very strangely constructed in the Greek because the I and my, they just, you, could, you could do something else and make it work. But I think that Jesus, if it's recounted appropriately, Jesus told the parable this way because he wants you to understand the, the very self-focus of this person. Because he doesn't say, oh, I, I can, I'm providing for my children or I, I've, I've got enough to provide for the, for, for the area people in case we have a famine. I'm, I'm, I'm able to store this up because then, you know, we can do different things with it and make sure that maybe people who, aren't as, who, who haven't had this abundance of, of crop, or, you know, will be able to eat while they, while, they, while they do the rest of their farming. No, no, no. It's all about I and my. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to do this. And, and then think about the resources he's going to expend going to tear down the barns that he had which has been sufficient for however long and build up new barns just to just to encase this blessing and this is, and one of the things that people there would have would have really understood that maybe we don't we have to have more put in our minds is that this kind of abundance from the land would have been seen as a great gift from god not that this farmer did anything more perfect or more right, but that, but that it was just an abundance and that God was really blessing this person. But he takes it, and he's just going to store it up for himself, for himself. And I will say to my soul, Soul? I, I know you guys talk to yourselves like that, right? Yeah, all the time. I mean, I know we talk to ourselves all the time. We don't like to admit it. You know, we've got this running conversation going on, but I've never said, soul, we're going to… Anyway, that's just a little side thing. You have ample goods laid up for many, many… years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And, and I'm not… And the thing is, it would be very easy for a preacher to be, you know, come down hard on, well, you're supposed to, you know, live a life of poverty, and you're supposed to give everything away, because that's in the Bible too, right? Jesus says give away your possessions or sell your possessions and serve me and all this Everything. I mean, you could really, you could, you could begin to make a case for that, and, and that's, that's where the case gets made to, that most preachers aren't supposed to have anything either. I'll never forget, I'll never forget the first few weeks after Jennifer and I bought a 10-year-old Mercedes-Benz. The things people said to us, The minister's wife drives a Mercedes, hmm, you must be getting paid a lot. I bought a 10-year-old car that my wife liked, right? It gets us where we're going. Yes, it's nice. It's comfortable, right? It was just, I was like, really? This is fascinating. So if I'd have bought a a 10-year-old Hyundai, nobody would have said a word, even if it was just as nice, even if it was just as much as a luxury automobile, but just the image of it, right? Preachers are, aren't supposed to have anything. It's this weird sort of thing that we have. So what I'm saying is that we're not, I'm not, I'm not going against the fact that we ought to take care of ourselves and that we ought not to work so that we can so that we can be successful. I mean, part of the part of the Presbyterian and part of the Protestant thing is that Protestant work ethic, that, that work has value. That our livelihoods mean something. And they can be holy. And they can and they can speak of, of the glory of God in what we do as we as we live our lives and do our work and and as and as we are blessed for that work through income or whatever. But what does it mean to be rich toward God? What does it mean to be rich toward God? To have some sort of dynamic relationship with our material goods, not an idolatrous relationship with those material goods. Beware, be on guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Paul, in the letter to Colossians, says, look out for greed because it is idolatry. And when we worship something that is material, that is not eternal, we get distracted from serving God. In the Gospel of Luke, especially, there is a, Jesus talks a lot, and, and over and over Jesus' ministry in the four Gospels, if you look at how many times he specifically talks about wealth or material possessions and, their, and how they influence your relationship with God, if, if I preached the same, about the same amount specifically on that, it would, it would be 17% of my preaching would be specifically about our relationship to material possessions and how those relate to to our relationship with God because Jesus knows and God knows that the things of this world, the material things can get in our way. They can distract us from serving God with our whole heart and mind and soul. So what does it mean to be rich toward God? It is, I think, first and foremost, is to be grateful for everything that we have already. To realize that it is a gift And that the opportunities that we've had, you know, and been given from our parents and grandparents or from other people who have helped us along the way to become more successful you know, to, to receive an education, to, to get hired at certain companies, perhaps to be paid even better than some other folks, to, to rise up. And, and the way that we've used those gifts and skills to honor God, hopefully, and to, to hone those in order so that we can do better and our families can do better, so we can provide not only for ourselves and for our family, but then as those who are grateful, that we can use those gifts to bless the whole community. So that not just those that that we are related to or those that we know can be lifted up, but so that the whole community can be blessed. Because that's the beautiful thing about God. When God chose Abraham to set out, he didn't just choose him to bless his progeny, even though he would have thousands and thousands of progeny, you know, the the daughters and, and sons of Abraham, he chose him to bless all the nations. And when we forget that, when we are so focused and so worried about our little piece of the pie, we lose sight of the great opportunity that we have in this new life that we're given, as Paul writes, to bless all people in the name of God to help all people have an opportunity to do better for themselves, to, to take care of themselves so that, so that we don't have people living in poverty, so that we don't have people going hungry, so that we don't have people who, aren't, who, who don't have meaningful work to do, but we create, we, we, those who have been blessed with much, are able to take that much and able to figure out ways to use it in God's name to bless other people, to be rich toward God. And that comes from a place of humility as well. And you've heard me talk about what being humble means. In the Bible, it is it is not about being self-depreciating or or, or not thinking highly enough of yourself. It is understanding the relationship that you have with God, where God is and where you are in that relationship that God is the creator, that God is the redeemer, that God is the sustainer, that everything that we have is a gift from God and that dynamic relationship means that I am not God and I didn't just create this for myself. And as I live humbly then, I can just be super grateful for every opportunity that I have, every chance I get to, to earn and to live and to work, and then for every opportunity to be able to imagine what I can do with the abundance that I have and how can I help my company, my family, my community also have an attitude of being rich toward God, which means loving our neighbor, caring for those who aren't as fortunate as we are, those things we talk about a lot but don't do very well. And so what that does is, that is, it, is it helps us take away the distractions so that we can be more discerning about what it is we are called to do with our abundance. Because in the Bible, and what you hear from Jesus, is that money and material possessions matter. How our relationship with them influences our relationship with God. And so I think we ought to take heed to Jesus' warning. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. What would it mean for you? What would it mean for our community? What would it mean for our world if we were all rich toward God? That's the question every day. Amen.